and welcome to another edition of Econo Day Unplugged. It's Tuesday, the 14th of December, 2021. Terry Sheehan's on the US East Coast and I'm Jamie Hawkins in London. So on the central bank front then, the Fed is widely expected to step up the pace of QE tapering on Wednesday. I'd have had a what are likely to be very different policy announcements from the Swiss National Bank, the European Central Bank, the Bank of England and the Bank of Japan on what's being called Super Thursday. So with the Omicron variant threatening a whole new wave of COVID infections and geopolitical tensions, particularly in Eastern Europe, still rising, investors have plenty on their plates to digest this week. First up then is the Fed quite remarkably now confronted by near 7% inflation rate. So let's hear from Terry about what we should anticipate and where the risks to market expectations lie in Wednesday's announcement. So Terry, over to you. Well, I think we're going to see a Fed that's a little more aggressive in addressing inflation. I think they have gotten plenty of data in the last few days, the CPI, the PPI, that indicate that at least through November, inflation remained very strong. Uh, As a result, I think we're going to see a pretty steep cut in the pace of asset purchases. I'm looking for around 30 billion a month so they can finish off around the end of the first quarter 2022 uh, and to allow themselves some room to lift rates later in the year. Okay, got to ask you a question then. If they're finishing all the quantitative easing stuff by the end of the first quarter, when do they actually come out and deliver the first increase in interest rates? I would be looking for it perhaps in July or August. They're going to try and leave some space between the end of the asset purchases and liftoff in order to make sure that there is a clear delineation between the two forms of providing stimulus. And um, also because they want to make sure that the end of the asset purchases does not do any damage to the economy. Okay, I I should ask you, perhaps I've asked you before, but in terms of as we get interest rates starting to move up, what are they going to do with their balance sheet? Presumably at some point, you know, as we switch from asset purchases, they're going to be moving into the new realm of asset sales. When do you think that might start? Oh, I think that's going to be quite a way away. I think we have to be clearly out of the pandemic before they even begin to think about that. Um, From the Fed's point of view, the holdings of their assets is what provides accommodation to the economy. Uh, So um, I, I think we're going to be holding the balance sheet right where it is at the end of the program. Yeah, interesting. I must say, just comparing it with the likes of the Bank of England, because they've already sort of come out with their exit strategy, whereby they're not going to actually start, if you like, quantitative tightening until bank rate, which is what, 0.1% over here, actually gets as high as 1%. So be interesting to see you know, what sort of numbers the Fed might finally come out with as well. OK, then, um, tell me, what do you think the dot plot's going to show? Because you all like a good dot plot. People get very <laughs> excited about it. What do you think it's going to show this week? Well, they do, but they have to remember it's a forecast, not a promise. Mm -hmm. But I do think we're going to see a change from right now. Their forecasts show a 125 basis point rate hike next year. I think it could be as high as three when we get the next forecast. But that also could be borrowing some of the rate hikes that they had forecast out for 2023. Okay. Um, 
transitory. I've got to raise it. Uh, the magic <laughs> word transitory, which has appeared so many times this year. Allegedly, it's going to disappear. What they're going to replace it with? I don't know specifically. Uh, I've been giving a lot of thought to that, but I think they're they're going to have to find a way to express that some of these price increases are a result of cyclical forces and we'll move through the data uh, or that some of this are the result of extraordinary circumstances like the pandemic and that the uh, unusual circumstances will move through the data over a period of time. So um, they're going to have to be very careful because whatever comes after transitory is going to have to carefully communicate how they view the underlying forces in inflation because it's likely to stick and they are likely to get a lot of criticism if it isn't calibrated just right. Okay. And tell me, how do you think the vote's going to go? Do you think there's going to be a nice unanimous vote on this? Or are we going to have some dissenters on board? No, I'm pretty, and unless there's somebody, if they go for a $30 billion a month uh, wind down of the asset purchases, mm -hmm. um, there could be somebody who wants a slightly slower one, but I don't expect there to be any dissent in the vote. OK, and I guess on this, in a similar vein, if we move into next year and we get some changes through rotational changes and also some new Fed governors coming in, um, what do you think that might do in terms of a slant of policy for 2022? Well, I think right now, overall, even the more dovish members of the FOMC are leaning a little more hawkish in terms of removing accommodation. So I think that um, overall, the tone of the vote is going to be more hawkish next year. I think they're going to uh, see an economy that's continuing to recover solidly uh, and that um, if, fingers crossed, um, inflation indeed has peaked as it looks like it may have in some of the very early data. Uh, then they're, they're going to be able to point to the end of asset purchases and their preparedness to start raising rates again. So I think it's going to be a more hawkish Fed. Okay, fair enough. And I must say, a last one for me, which I guess comes down to credibility. Do you think what's happened this year, um, and I guess we're not really just talking the Fed, to be fair, um, but the Fed, I suppose, stands out because of the numbers. But when you're looking at what the forecasts were, let's say this time last year, and we now see US inflation running at almost 7%. Um, if you compare it to the likes of, well, the likes of the, um, the ECB, I mean, they've got their numbers badly wrong as well, but currently we're run, running below 5% as far as Europe's concerned. Um, do you think the kind of differences we have in actual inflation versus what the central banks, in your case, the Fed were anticipating, has done any kind of damage to the credibility of the monetary organisation? I certainly think it has thrown in to highlight the fact that all forecasts are uncertain and the feds in this case was wrong uh, but at the same time we have a fed that isn't holding on to their forecast with both hands they're adapting 
in the face of the numbers and they're trying to uh, respond appropriately. So you may be able to make the argument that the Fed's behind the curve on inflation, but they are not ignoring it. Yeah, which I guess at the end of the day, as you say, since let's be honest, when it comes to forecasts, no one's really got a clue what's going on, is the best way to be. In fact, I'm sure I saw a study out, it was at the St. Louis Fed, or oh, many, many years ago, and we did some study on look at inflation forecasts, and it seemed that you know, the most accurate inflation forecast was to use the latest, no, latest known number and just project it forward, which makes you wonder, doesn't it? Okay, um, anything else from your side, Terry? Uh, No, we're waiting for a lot of data tomorrow morning. Um, The only thing that might alter the outlook for the Fed is if the retail sales numbers come in far weaker than expected. Uh, But overall, uh, things seem to be just waiting on 2 p.m. on Wednesday here. Right. Okay. excellent. Thanks much for that, Terry. Um, And I guess let's move across to some of the other central banks due to be making their announcements this week. So European Central Bank, then they're one of the ones um, issuing forth on Super Thursday. And for them, it's still the sort of the battle between the governing council's doves who believe that the eurozone economy, which is still smaller than it was even before COVID struck, it's still about what half a percentage point or so uh, below where it was um, back in the fourth quarter of 2019, um, still smaller than it was before COVID, is not out of the woods yet. And the, and the hawks, whose claws, I guess, are gripping ever tighter with inflation in the eurozone, at least in November, up at almost 5%, and so easily more than double uh, the two percent target and even in the and indeed even with the core rate as well up at 2.6 now uh, so also quite comfortably above uh, the two percent mark and i guess it's always worth pointing out that when you're looking for hawkish members of the ecb germany in particular tends to stand head and shoulders above most of the other members and the uh, the rate in germany at the moment inflation rate currently stands at some 6.0 percent which really does go down like a lead balloon with the bundesbank um, well, what do we got? Well, um, in terms of the president, E.C. Lagarde, she's still suggesting that the prospect, at least of an interest rate hike next year, is unlikely. And certainly in terms of what happens this week, you can forget about any change in on rates because that simply ain't going to happen. Um, so the focus will very much be on, well, really not so much what's happening at the moment, but what the ECB plans to do in 2022. And with that regard, it's going to be what they're going to do with uh, quantitative easing. Now, for people who, who might have forgotten, quantitative easing for the Eurozone currently comprises the old, uh, the long-standing asset purchase program, which runs at a, a fixed rate of 20 billion euros a month, and the pandemic emergency purchase program, the PEP, which has no fixed buying target, but is uh, currently seeing purchases around about 70 billion euros or so a month, and crucially in this instance is still expected to end in March 2022. So, unless the PEP is going to be renewed, which from all the comments coming out from the central bank to date seems very unlikely. There's going to be a big hole left in the quantitative easing program unless they address it with something else. Uh, So really the key on Thursday is going to be what's going to be said to address the prospective change or the shortfall, I should say, once the PEP 
um, has been ended. Um, now, I think that at this stage, the best bet is probably going to be some kind of small version uh, of the PEP, certainly similar in structure. So no monthly target. So they keep it flexible and certainly no commitment to full utilisation because they'd really struggle to get that past the Hawks, many of whom, in, in to, well, at least to some extent anyway, would almost be happy just to see the PEP abandoned and left on left on one side because um, there's a fair number of uh, ECB council members now who clearly want to see a less accommodative stance coming out of the central bank. An article that says bottom line for Thursday for the ECB anyway is going to be it's going to be the size of if I can call it PEP2, whatever that might mean, uh, the size of that which might well determine the final market reaction to what they say. Um, as Terry was talking about new forecasts coming out of the Fed, there'll also be a new forecasting round from the ECB. And within that, what the forecasts indicate for inflation over the medium term is going to be extremely important to help into determine market sentiment. You know, if people remember, they need to show um, inflation moving above 2% uh, well before the end of the forecast period and remaining there for them even to contemplate uh, an increase in interest rates. And although inflation is clearly well over target at the moment, um, from the kind of wage settlements we're seeing currently, particularly out of the likes of Germany, um, it seems to be the case that, well, current wage rates might even suggest they could struggle to keep it uh, close to 2% uh, just because they're currently coming in so low. And of course, on top of all this, we have the Omicron variant, which uh, for Europe looks like it's going to be a major blow over coming months. Uh, it's certainly going to have an impact. Well, it's certainly going to have an impact. It's going to be a major talking point as far as one of the other central banks to announce on Thursday, the Bank of England's concerned. Um, now, B of E has got to be said, speculation on this has been quite frankly all over the place from markets being effectively certain about a rate hike uh, at the November meeting to being, well, fairly sure of a rate hike this week to contemplating no move at all on Thursday, but accepting that there could be one anyway. There's an awful lot of uncertainty about the December MPC vote. And that really comes down, I suppose, as much as anything to what's going on, say, with the Omicron environment. Um, the bottom line is there's no real market conviction about what's going to come out in terms of the announcement. The majority view appears to be for no change. And if that is the case, it's really due to COVID and say, and in particular, Omicron, uh, to the extent that uh, the sharp increase we've had in cases here, the government now is uh, pledging. Um, every adult in Britain will be offered a booster jab uh, by the end of this month. And good luck trying to get that through because there's an awful lot of injections involved there. And they're doing so because the government's now warning of a tidal wave Omicron coming. Cases over here really aren't going through the roof at the moment. They're doubling every two to three days. And already just in a space of what, less than a couple of weeks, uh, the Omicron accounts for more than 20 percent of new cases. So it's rapidly taking over from the Delta variant and its transmissibility aspect uh, is a major problem for the policymakers at the moment. So we've had some new restrictions being introduced here already. Um, there'll be additional tightening of those restrictions, I suspect, over the course of coming days, certainly weeks. Um, and the question then is, well, is all this going to be enough to dampen down activity sufficiently and change the Bank of England's view with regards to inflation, that they don't feel they should come out and raise interest rates tomorrow? Um, it's going to be a close call, I think, because currently inflation in the UK, what we're Tomorrow, we'll get the November figure, which is expected to be up at 4.7%. Uh, so, so easily more than double the uh, the target rate at the moment. And indeed, it's probably going to move above 5% once we get into next April, when we have the current cap on energy prices being adjusted. So it's, well, it's very rare for the Bank of England to raise rates in December. But of course, these are unusual times. 
I guess the big picture still suggests that rates will have to go up at some point, but frankly, when it is unclear. Um, but recall that as and when they do, uh, bank rate will have to get to 0.5%, which is when the Bank of England will stop reinvesting maturing QE assets. Um, so just to keep it, so allow its balance sheet to start shrinking naturally. But it won't actually start coming out and selling assets or quantitative tightening until the 1% mark is reached. Um, sticking quickly with Europe, also mentioned for Thursday, in fact, the first of the central banks to announce will be the Swiss National Bank. And there really was no pressure to tighten at all. In fact, if anything, it's all moving in the other direction. And the economy is just about above its pre-crisis level now. Uh, but inflation was only one and a half percent in November. The core rate was only 0.7 percent. So if anything, then the pressure is to try, to, if anything, is to, to lower domestic interest rates to make what is an extremely strong Swiss franc less attractive. In recent weeks, the francs are powered through these supposed uh, SMB pain thresholds, and it's currently trading against the euro at some of the strongest levels we've seen since the central bank pulled its currency peg all the way back in January 2015. Now, the thing is, these gains have come about despite the SMB having the lowest benchmark rate. Deposit rate there is minus 0.75% amongst all of the major central banks. So at least in part, it seems that these capital inflows are really just stemming from you know safe haven appeal of the franc due to the troubles in eastern europe and, and certainly now omicron as well so if that is the case cutting interest rates might not do anything in the first place and indeed a central bank is anyway extremely reluctant to come out and take rates deeper into negative territory so i guess in terms of thursday then what to look for well expect rhetoric on the franc as per usual but expect that to be turned up a few notches uh, so the Swiss franc may well be described as being overvalued rather than just highly valued. It's been in the last couple of meetings and intervention to be stepped up aggressively at some point. I think you know, what the central bank will hope that because there's so much money pouring into the franc, at some point the market will be very long. And that's the opportunity then for the central bank to intervene aggressively. It's been intervening, but in relatively small amounts over the last several weeks now. But to really intervene aggressively, you know, it gets that opportunity when the market is long the franc and have a much bigger impact. But for the time being, I think the SMB is really just going to have to you know, grit its teeth and try to ride out the current wave. Um, sticking with the central banks, since this is a central bank podcast this week, really, I guess um, Bank of Canada, I should mention, there were no surprises from the BOC last week. They left rates unchanged and quantitative easing, as far as they're concerned, has already ended. Um, and yeah, just reinvestment phase now to stabilise the balance sheet. That's going to continue. However, they did um, suggest that they still see rates only up in the middle quarters of 2022. So there's no bringing forward um, of any kind of tightening measure or expected tightening measures there. They did also note that uh, Omicron is a downside hit and could hit growth. Um, however, also of note, and I guess a sign of the times, uh, looking further ahead, the Bank of Canada's inflation target was renewed on Monday. And with so many central banks, I guess, you know, risking policy credibility through overshooting inflation, uh, the bank's new five year mandate incorporates using the flexibility of its unchanged one to three percent inflation target range to seek maximum employment when possible. So in other words, we're starting to move now to you know, a, a specific, or at least explicit, you know, twin uh, twin goal for the central bank as opposed to just working uh, with the inflation target. Now, on paper, 
I suppose you can say that's what constitutes the sort of biggest overhaul of the policy in remit in the last three decades or so. But the bottom line is it's what the central bank's been doing ever since the COVID crisis. Uh, there's no explicit adoption of average inflation targeting a la Fed, but that doesn't mask the fact that the Bank of Canada has gone most of the way down that road anyway. Uh, if I round off with the Bank of Japan on paper, I guess that's one of the easier ones for this week. Offense, essentially, as per usual, uh, there's no change expected there. The bank's nine member board is expected to vote probably eight to one to maintain its current policy of yield curve control. So looking to pin the 10 year yield around about the zero percent mark. Um, that's a framework it adopted what back in September 2016. And um, given developments in Japan so far, uh, there's little reason for expecting that that is about to change. Okay then, uh, Ms. Sheehan, have you finished for today? I have. Um, the one thing I'd like to add is yep. that I think that the Fed's balance sheet is going to remain stable for quite some time um, until after the pandemic is over and who knows when that will be. So I don't think they're going, although they may end asset purchases, I don't think um, the quantitative tightening is going to happen anytime soon. OK, excellent. Thanks for that. Indeed, it's going to be interesting just to see how these various central banks, as and when they do all finally get towards some sort of quantitative tightening, how they're actually going to do it, deliver it, and how they're going to put it alongside any kind of changes in interest rates. That's something to look forward to in the future. OK, well, let's wrap it up there then. Well, normally I'd say that's it for this week, but given all the upcoming central bank activity, we thought we'd uh, round up the movers and shakers with a special podcast on Thursday after the ECB announcement. So we do hope that you can join us for that. Either way, there's clearly a lot going on in financial markets. So remember to keep up to date with all the key economic data and events in Econday's global economic calendar. On behalf of Terry and myself, thanks as always for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.